Welcome to It's a Good Life, a podcast dedicated to helping you live your best one. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. The top of the morning to you, and welcome to It's a Good Life with Brian Buffini. Excited to be with you today as I begin this new quest in this new season of my life. I want to put more of the good life back into people's lives. And this is not something uh, I've created or invented or even thought of. This has been around a long, long time. Life was meant to be good. I think my main job is reminding people of that, giving people perspective, a bit of encouragement, a bit of hope, and maybe a few how-tos to put more of the good back into people's lives. You know, every revealed major religion of the world accepts the account in the book of Genesis of the creation of the earth. And I'm going to go and give you a little bit of this to start with because, again, everybody's got opinions and conversations and takes anymore. But sometimes it's just important to know about some principles that have been around a long, long time. Most people will identify this as being about 7,000 years old. And it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and God said it was good. That's a good start, isn't it? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he said it was good. So by the very definition of when everything started, life itself, it was good. You know, five more times in the book of Genesis, uh, when God created everything from the earth to the oceans, the planets, the stars, all the living creatures, man, woman, after everything he created, he finished with, and God said it was good. And then at the very end of the first chapter of Genesis, it says, Then God looked over all he had made and said, It was very good. Well, I'm an amateur theologian, but I'd like to think that when something and someone as significant as many people throughout recorded human history have come to accept as a God, says, This is good, 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 and all together, it's very good, then Me saying it's a good life is a basic statement of affirmation of something that I believe to be true. I believe life is meant to be good, designed to be good, created to be good. So what do I want to talk about today? Well, the first thing I want to talk about is why life doesn't always feel so good. So if it's meant to be good, why doesn't it feel so good? And again, there's a lot of deep waters I can get into here because a lot of people have experienced very difficult things and tragedies in their life. And if God is good and life is good, then why does it feel so terrible and crappy at times? Then I'm going to talk about my own principles in how I approach my life. And that is, it is a good life. It is. And to me, that's like saying the sun is in the sky in the day and the moon is in the sky at night. And then I have a question for you to try to help you put more of the good back in your own good life. So let's talk about it. So here's the happy guy, right? And the motivating speaker and all that stuff. And I'm going to talk about why life doesn't feel so good. So let's do a little analysis of where things are at. And I first got exposed to this particular criteria from the great Ogmandino. And when I saw presentations that Og did in the past, as he brought his messages of hope and encouragement to people, he would often address where people were struggling. And I've continued on with that journey and kept the stats up to date. So here are just some up-to-date stats on where we're at in our culture today, specifically in America. Last year, 12 million Americans seriously thought about suicide. 3.5 million people planned a suicide attempt, and 1.4 million people attempted a suicide. Now, 
If you're listening to me today and you've thought like that, I want you to know, first of all, you're not alone. And second of all, the number one dynamic connected to suicide is that people believe that their future is so bleak that it cannot be better than what it is today. And there are a lot of different fabulous organizations and support out there. You're not alone. I think it's very important to know that if you're going through hell, that other people have walked through hell before you and you can get some help. It's tough. There was 100,000 drug overdoses in the U.S. last year, which is up 28%. 40 million people in the States take antidepressants. That number was 13 million 20 years ago. So think about it. Like our culture constantly will say it's more evolved and more sophisticated. We have more psychologists and therapists. and We have more answers for everything. We have tens of thousands of podcasts and shows. There's all kinds of daytime TV. There's self-help books for everything under the sun and any thought a person ever seems to have had has been written about it. So why aren't we doing so good? And I want to talk about that. It was designed. We were created for a good life. We were designed for it. We were built for it. But I want to walk you through the word good. You know, in the book of Genesis, it doesn't say God looked at it and said, that's awesome, amazing, phenomenal. None of those things. It was a movie years ago, the Lego movie my kids were into. And it was the song, the song all the way through me, everything is awesome. And that's what's sold today. A life of ease and comfort, multimillionaire, cryptocurrency, invest overnight, become a millionaire on your backside at the beach, comfort, work from home, don't work out, don't need to eat right, you know, take this pill, do this, do that. And everything is easy and simple and quick. And that's all baloney. I've been searching for the good life and fighting for the good life for myself and my family, my staff, my clients for 35 years. And trust me, I love a good shortcut. I I love something quick and easy. I just haven't found it to be the case. You know, you can get rich fast. You just can't get rich quick. Most of the people who attempt to get rich quick end up broke. And those who often end up rich quick go broke because it happens so fast for them. You can get rich fast. Five years, that's pretty fast in a person's life to become a millionaire, a multi-millionaire. That's pretty fast. It's just can't do it in five days and five months or five minutes online. And that's what is so often promised today. You know, I always do this because, you know, when I'm helping people, Buffini and Company, we've coached thousands and thousands of people to increase their business tenfold is the average over 25 years. Well, there's a bunch of people out there that have programs today called 10X, and you can 10X this and 10X that and 10X the other, and it's all quick and easy and whatever else. It's just a lot of garbage. And you know it. You know it. You know when you've signed on to a flaky deal. But at the end of the day, you're like, eh, maybe there's a chance. You know, there's one chance at 100. I'll roll the dice. Go to Vegas, play roulette. Better chance. So what I want to talk to you about is that it is a good life. It is a good life. And what that actually means A quote that really helped me years ago, a man I've had a chance to meet on several occasions. He's actually a monk in um, Snowmass, Colorado, a Benedictine monk, and his name is Father Thomas Keating. I've read a lot of his books. I've been to a couple of his seminars. Pretty brilliant guy. He was the guy that really brought to the forefront contemplative prayer. But he said something that I wrote it down in a journal, and it's got to be 20 years ago, and it's with me every single day. But he was doing a Q&A with some people, and some people had been through some very difficult things. They'd lost a child, and 
They were talking about this, and they wanted to believe in this good God. They wanted to believe in this good life, and they asked him about it. Now, here's a guy that's never been married and never had kids and certainly never lost a child, although he experienced pain and grief. In fact, he was a guy that lost a lot of his buddies in in World War II, and he said, uh, inside the infinite love of God, there's a place for suffering. It just struck me cold. Those two concepts I'd never put together. Inside the infinite love of God, there's a place for suffering. And again, people will take all kinds of shots and all the religious stuff today or whatever else. But the truth is, I I have found that to be true. And I have actually found that to be the core truth in understanding the concept called a good life. So I'll give you a few little stories from my own life and ultimately how it all turned out. As I've told people for many years, I'm a 19-year-old. I'm actually looking at the picture right now. And I'm in the best shape of my life. I come over to the States. My goal was to get a suntan and meet suntan girls. I'm in San Diego, California. I'm running on the beach every day. I'm selling t-shirts off a cart down by the beach. I'm having the life of Riley. I plan to go back to Ireland and just a few, few days before I, I go back to Ireland, I get in this very serious motorcycle accident. It was like the end of the world for me. I kind of found my identity up until that time in my physical activities. I was able to play a lot of sports. I'd had some success. And I found my identity in it. And that identity got smashed overnight. It's actually never returned. And the type of injury I had with the gangrene and whatever else, basically Tiger Woods accident, only I didn't have all Tiger Woods money and resources to rehab. And so I didn't have any. And at the time, it was the end of the world. And I will be candid. I I think I took it pretty well. But if you think I didn't ask myself and God at the time, like, why me? I certainly did. Like, why me? At 19, I had my whole life in front of me. I wanted to do this and that and help people and serve and do all that stuff. In fact, uh, shortly before this accident, I had somewhat of a spiritual renewal in my life, a very significant one. So here I was, you know, feeling very good about God and very good about life and very good about everything. And then in one fell swoop, done. And I got sat down and over the course of two years, you know, these surgeries, putting rods in and screws in and this and that. And I didn't have money, so I, when I went to the hospital, I wasn't getting private treatment or whatever. Some of my appointments would be six hours long for a 15-minute treatment. And eventually, I stopped going. I never did rehab or whatever else. And so it, it certainly didn't seem so good at the time. With the grand perspective of things, I know full well. Without that motorcycle accident, there is so much good that I would have missed out on in my life. My plan was different than what happened. Well, I had my leg in a cast, I met the love of my life. It happened to be because I was stuck. I couldn't move. I was renting a room in a house, and this fellow was connected to a pastor who was the pastor of this local church who used to be the chaplain for the U.S. Olympic volleyball team. And they used to have a Bible study in the house where I was living and renting a room. I never would have met Beverly. Here comes this beautiful African-American woman walks in from Sumter, South Carolina, who saw right through any charades I had of my one-liners and my little Irish accent and whatever else, and I was smitten. Without that motorcycle accident, I never meet that woman. I never connect to the love of my life. 35 years later, here we are. Six kids and grandkids, and there's no question. There's no question. It wasn't a good thing that happened. It was ultimately for my good. That tragedy, that difficulty, that 
setback. It was brutal. It caused economic harm. It took years and years to recover from physically. And to some degree, I've never recovered from it, to be honest with you. It put me in a real hole economically. It made me a driven guy, probably overly driven. And all kinds of things that came from it. But it was for my good. And I look at that today and I go, I know full well it redirected my life. It wasn't awesome. It wasn't fun. But it was good. Years later, I'm at the top of my profession. I'm making money left, right, and center. I'm buying real estate. It was a a booming market. Every time I bought a piece of real estate, I made money hand over fist. I'm the man. Being successful in my business, I'm getting acknowledgement for it. People are asking me to speak at their conferences, all that kind of good stuff. And I meet a guy who has a little business venture that I made an investment in. It went well. And the next thing you know, I take over this thing. At the time, I look at it now, I, I was maybe a little cocky, a little arrogant, because everything I had touched turned to gold. And so I bought into this company called Misty Mate, built up a national distributorship, yada, yada, yada. And that thing ended up imploding in a massive way. And there's a big old story behind it and so on and so forth. You know, most people can say their money went up in smoke. My money went up in mist, actually. And the truth of the matter is I lost $2.9 million on this deal. Now, as I look at it today, I'll say, well, that's not a ton of money. But at the time, it was all I had. So when you lose all you had, it's a big deal. I've owned 47 businesses. I've had one failure. And it was a big failure. It was embarrassing. I think the first thing I lost as the dust settled was my confidence. I started to doubt myself, doubt my decision making. Had I just been lucky up to that point in time? And if you're out there today and you've experienced a loss or experiencing one now, you know what I'm talking about. But I can actually tell you that without that loss, There is no way that Buffini and Company would have existed. There's no way for 25 years it would become the premier brand in coaching and training without that Misty Mate fiasco, which crushed me at the time. There is no way that we would have built this company that's called Buffini and Company that's brought work by referral, live the good life to millions of people all over the world. And if you read my mail every day and you saw the hundreds and hundreds of letters and emails I get, Thank you so much. You've changed my life. You've done this. You've done that. All that came out of something that was a major setback. It was difficult. It wasn't fun. It was crushing. It was for my good. I think of, as I look here, I have a little picture of that, and I keep it around, of the first car I had. I got got a loaner of a car to go on my first ever appointment. And it was a station wagon with the caved-in driver's side. It had Grateful Dead stickers all over it. I remember driving up to the very first appointment and the grandson of the lady I was coming to see asked me who I was. I told her I was the realtor. And my first appointment as a salesman, I go walking in the door to this kid like the town crier announcing, Grandma, the realtor's been in a car wreck. And I hadn't been in a car wreck. I was just driving a wreck. So, you know, at the time I was embarrassed. At the time, I, I, it brought up emotions of poverty and I'm not worthy and insecurity. And here I am going on an appointment to try to help someone with their real estate needs who took a shot on me and, and you know, gave me a shot and uh, allowed me to represent her. So now today when I'm on a stage and I have 12,000 people in front of me, I am able to come from that tough start. I'm able to have empathy and compassion for the audience where I'm not speaking as the guy who flew in on his own private Learjet. I'm speaking as the guy who remembers I used to drive a borrowed beat up station wagon that looked like it had been on a demolition derby. It was for my good. There's a great verse in the Bible. Uh, it's Romans 8, and it says, God works all things together for good. And I've seen this repeatedly in my life. 
you know, another purple patch in my life. In 2007, my family and I, we had lived for five years in a home that was called the Western White House. And it was this 12,000 square foot Georgia plantation style home set in California on this beautiful estate, top of this mountain. Well, on October 22nd, 2007, while we had been traveling and uh, out of town, that house caught fire and everything in it and everything we owned burned to the ground. Everything we owned, everything the kids had, everything we had, gone. And it was not fun. It was a major setback. It hurt us bad. Where was the good in it? Well, at the time, it's hard to see it. But you keep your chin up. We planted, actually, an American flag in the driveway. Everything was gone. And we wrote on the flag, we'll be back. And we did. We eventually built, on that same location, two years later, a beautiful, magnificent home that was even nicer than the one we lived in and all that stuff. But what happened during those two years? Well, it was one travesty after another. We ended up having to move six times. Six times. It was the, at the time when the banks were failing. So we moved into this house immediately, rented this big home. We're paying, whatever, 12 grand a month. This is, you know, a long time ago. And the guy who didn't make his mortgage payments. So I'm on stage, out of town. Beverly gets a knock at the door. All the kids are young. And, uh, hey, you got to be out of here in three days. This house being foreclosed on. What? We've been paying rent. Well, the guy hasn't been paying his mortgage. We had to move everything. And by the way, we own nothing. So everything was rented. So it's go all the way back to the rental company. Everything starts over. We got six young kids. Move to the next house. The next house, I pay the rent. And I say to this guy, hey, I want to see that you're banking your payments every month. So I want to see a closed statement every month. Guy sent me a statement every month dutifully telling me he was making his payments. Turned out he falsified it. True story. Four months later, I'm on stage. Beverly calls me. You're not going to believe it. I got a knock on the door. This house is in foreclosure. The guy hasn't been making the payments. We end up moving six times with six kids under the age of 12. We moved six times in the space of 18 months. We ended up at one stage. We had another property. and had a little guest house on it. And the house was getting remodeled. So we moved into the guest house, tiny little place, and where the kids are sleeping on the floor, the whole thing. So where, where's the happiness in this story, Brian? Well, I can tell you that the family that moved back into the new house was a lot closer than the family that had the house burned down. We were thick as thieves. The next latent tail effect of this, what came for our good, is here were kids that were raised in affluence who, because of the fire and because of what we went through, are completely not materialistic. People are always shocked when they meet my kids. They're great kids, but they're shocked how grounded they are. They're always shocked. And I think we've done a good job, my Bev and I, doing our best raising those kids and putting those good principles into them. But I can tell you that one of the catalysts was the fire we went through, the moves that we had, becoming unattached to the things of this world. And the fact of the matter is, it's produced a much tighter, much closer-knit group. That which we thought was meant for our destruction was meant for our good. Now, I've just mentioned a few stories from my own life. Some of you have endured far more difficult and tragic things than anything I just mentioned. You've buried a child, you've buried a spouse, you've buried a parent. You've been through unbelievable sickness or setbacks, one after the other. I can't even imagine. The truth of the matter is sometimes it's hard to see the good, but there is the good. And that's why in our family, we developed during those fire years, just a little dynamic. My good friend, Joe Nego, his dad, he was a concrete mason and he used to say, it's a good life. 
And so I started saying this to the kids. So we'd be like in the middle of a move. And I go, you know what? Time out. We're going for ice cream. And we drive down to the local ice cream store. And the kids are tucking in. And I'd hold up a spoonful of ice cream. And I'd look at the kids. I go, it's a good life, kids. And they go, it's a good life, dad. And that became our little mantra. It's a good life, kids. It's a good life, dad. And that's still our mantra today. Because it is a good life. It's not an easy life. It's not a lay on the beach. Everything works out. You know, people from a distance look at my life and they've seen this meteoric rise and meteoric success and fame and fortune and family and all this stuff and do work that's meaningful to people. And it just looks like, you know, yeah, this guy's never had a bad day in his life. And the truth is, there's been a lot of things that have had to work together for good. It is a good life. Doesn't mean it's easy. It's not always awesome. It's not always fun. But it is always good. So I I have some questions for you today. How good is your life? How good is your life? Like, I really mean it. Like, how good is your life? I want you to take stock spiritually in your family life, your business or career, in your finances, uh, physically, emotionally. How's your life? Have you taken stock in the good habits for a good year? I provided you with a resource to actually put a number next to the different aspects of your life. How good is your life? Now, the first thing is, to really take a look at how good it is. You know, the definition of a good life is it's a happy and enjoyable life. What are you thankful for? What are you appreciative of? Like, really? Like, what's going right? When I do a meeting with my staff, I'll say, well, what's working well first? What's working well? Then I'll get into what needs improvement. And then what are your ideas? But I always start with what's working well. We need to understand what's working well. You know, in the world we live in today, it's this constant berating, haranguing. I had a young lady interview me for a paper for her to graduate, and she was just asking me about the mindset of an immigrant coming to America. And I I did this interview with her, and she got off the phone. She said, Mr. Perfini, I just want to thank you. She goes, I just haven't heard anybody be so thankful for America. I just, I, I haven't even thought about it. And I'm like, the thing is, when you're focusing on what's not right, that's all you get. That's all you are. But the truth of the matter is, it's built upon everything that's going right in the first place. That just doesn't sell newspapers. It doesn't get clicks. And what happens is it helps us lose perspective. And when we lose perspective, we go all the way back to column one, which is where the depression comes in, which is where the antidepressants are kicking in, which is where the the future's bleak, which is where I'm having dark thoughts when we lose perspective. It's a good life to me. It's a statement of three things, an affirmation. It's a good life, kids. It's a good life, Dad. It's a statement of appreciation, okay? So it's this gratitude. So it's this affirmation. You're affirming what's true. It is a good life. What's the opposite? No life at all. It is a good life. It's an appreciation. So you have this gratitude, and it's a resolution. I'm resolved. It's a good life. Let me say this. It's in the midst of the storm with the person who has this resolve. That's someone who's mentally and emotionally tough, physically capable, ultimately heading for success. You know, many people think those that choose positivity are disconnected or shallow. Everything is awesome. You know, the Saturday Night Live skit, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. That's the person to make fun of. It's the cynic and the critic is the person that is positioned as the discerning person. Let me say this, the world is full of critics. And post-COVID, I'm going to say cynicism 
is the ultimate epidemic we face. We're in a post-pandemic era. It's going to take a while for everyone to get up to that speed. By the time governments enact laws, normally the reason for the law doesn't even exist anymore. So the fact of the matter is, we're in this post-pandemic era. It's called an endemic is what it means, which is like, yeah, this disease is going to be out there for a long time and it'll show up and so on and so forth. But cynicism, that is really the epidemic we're dealing with today. I believe it's a good life. I believe it's not always easy, but I do believe every book of success has chapters of failure. When I was living in Ireland, my brother Kevin, there was a song by a band called Chumba Wumba, and it's, I get knocked down and I get up again. Now, it was a drinking song, but he said, every time I think of you, Brian, I think of that. Resolute in my understanding that it's a good life. Appreciative for the life that I have, knowing that it's a good life. And affirming for the future that it's a good life. Better days are ahead. There is hope for the future. And that's why this is my new quest. That's why I want to bring more of this message and the practical underpinnings of it to each area. The guests I want to introduce, whether it be spiritual, family, business, financial, personal expertise, people who've accomplished and achieved in all of these areas. It is a good life. It's not always great. I get a chance to do this good work with all of you good people. And I just implore and encourage you as you think on these words, as you plan for your year, Take stock of your life. What do you have to be thankful for, appreciative of, genuinely? Because that's where you get the strength and the foundation. Hang on a second here. I have a lot to be thankful for. How can you put more of the good back in your good life? The good goals you set, the good habits you set. How can you put more of the good back in your life? The goals you set, the habits you form, the relationships you foster. How can you put more of the good? back in your own good life. It is a good life. It is a good life, and my life is good, and my life just got better because I've made a commitment even more to bring a message of the good life to all of you. A message of hope, a message of purpose, a message of practicality with some practical ways to make your life better, make your finances better, make your health better, make you think better, feel better, do better. All of the above. And it's a pleasure to be with all of you because it is a good life. And I want to leave today with someone who's shown the light to me for my whole life. She's demonstrated what the good life looks like. Her good attitude and her good heart, no matter how difficult it's been, has been my mother, Therese Buffini. And after 91 years of wisdom, she always says to me, Brian, it is a good life. So I hope this message encourages you today. This is my new quest. I hope you come on the journey with me. We have lots of exciting things to explore in the months and years to come. Until next time, God bless. May the road rise up to meet you and may the wind always be at your back may the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sun shine warm upon your face and until we meet again may God hold you in the hollow of his hand see you next time